Don't you hate having car trouble? Like, like car trouble is the worst, right? I mean, it can mess up your whole day, not just the finances of it, but, but when you live in Texas like we do, and we, we don't have subways or in Georgetown bus systems, if your car is not working, you're stuck. Several years ago, my wife was a teenager. She had just gotten a driver's license, and her parents bought a Ford Escort for her. It was, uh, like a baby blue Ford Escort. It was probably a mid-80s model, and that was not because my wife was driving in the mid-80s. It was because her parents were both teachers in a rural community, and all they could afford was a mid-80s Ford Escort. So she drove that car to school and back and drove it to town. They lived about 10 miles out in the country. Well, one morning, um, she went out to get into her car and went to start it to go to school, and it's not started. Something's wrong with it. And she gets up and goes inside to tell her dad who's busy trying to get ready so that he can go to work also. And so now he's in that dad dilemma. He's already frustrated because it's, even though it's her car, it's his car, right? And he's like, I gotta go fix this car. Well, we'll pause the story for a second there because my wife as a teenager also was a follower of Jesus, loved Jesus and, and wanted to know him more. And she was practicing some spiritual disciplines, one of those being uh, scripture memory. And so she would put verses that she was memorizing on cards and put them places. She'd put them up on the, the bathroom mirror so that when you went in to get ready in the morning, you've got that verse and you see it and you can practice it. Well, she also put it in her car so that when she got in her car to go to school in the morning, she could say the verse. After school, she could get in the car and say the verse and drive home. And so as her dad goes out to the car to see what's wrong with it, he gets in the driver's uh, seat and turns the, the ignition and nothing's happened. He's looking at the gauges and he sees one of her memory verses there on a card just to the left of the steering wheel, right, right in front of the gas gauge. And he pulled the memory card off and tried the engine again and saw it pegged it empty. She had just cruised in the day before with the last bit of gas, and she's like, Dad, my car's broken. Running out of gas is terrible, right? It's just as bad as car problems, because when you run out of gas going someplace, your whole day is shot. You were headed somewhere, And when you left your house to get someplace, you weren't thinking, hey, I've got an hour to spare. I got some time if I run out of gas, I can get out and walk to the gas station or call AAA and wait on them to show up or call a friend to show up and come pick you up and drive you to the gas station and get some extra gas and take it back. Your day's gone. And then it's also, if that's happened to you, it's embarrassing, right? Because your friend shows up and you know they're thinking, so so how long have you been an adult? You look like you've done this for 20-some-odd years at least and ran out of gas. Got to have fuel for the car. Could be worse. You could run out of gas in a plane. That would be way worse, right? Our bodies are the same way. We've got to have fuel for our bodies. We have to eat. If you don't, and I hope this doesn't happen to you during the the message because I know what will happen. You start to lose focus. but Maybe you get that, that little hunger pain, that twitch in your stomach. And your body goes, hey. You forgot breakfast. And you, it kind of grabs your attention. If it goes on much longer, you get you know, what we call, people are now saying you're hangry, half hungry, half angry. It affects, it affects your mood. You haven't had some food. If you go a little bit longer, start to get that headache. And you, you, you kind of know that headache if you had it before. You know, oh, it's the have, I haven't eaten headache. If it goes much longer, if you go two and a half, three days, 
your body really starts to do some crazy things because your body starts to prepare to go into starvation mode. And, and you'll, you, you won't be able to stay at work. You won't be able to focus. You'll get, you'll get lightheaded, can't concentrate, body's weak. Your body will start aching, hurting. Your body's going, feed me. You can't keep focused because your body's going, I don't want you thinking about work. I want you to think about food and do something. After you kind of clear three days or so and your body enters into starvation mode, it actually gets a little bit easier. You don't feel the same kinds of pain and things like that. But if you go much longer after that, a really bad thing happens. You die. It's a bad ending because your body has to have fuel. We've got to have fuel along the way for the journey. And, you know, Jesus, Jesus experienced that, the physical fuel. If you recall, like, Right before he started his public ministry, he goes out into the wilderness for 40 days and he fasts while he's there. He's spending time with his father, preparing, fasting, not eating. And at the end of the 40 days of fasting, the enemy shows up, the devil. And he tempts Jesus three times. And the first temptation, he he jumps in knowing that Jesus is, is literally starving to death. He's hungry. And the first temptation Satan gives him is he says, hey, look at this rock. Look at that rock. It's a good-sized rock. Why don't you just use your God power to turn that rock into some warm, buttery, fresh bread? Man, wouldn't that sound good? Knowing that Jesus is extremely hungry. And Jesus said this. He said, hey, man doesn't live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And what Jesus said to Satan at that moment is, even even at my lowest physical point, when I need fuel for my body, devil, what's more important than fuel for my body is fuel for my soul. Spiritual disciplines, Bible, prayer, other ones, spiritual disciplines are fuel for our journey. It's what what keeps us going, keeps us walking good, Lord. It's what helps us experience God and all that he wants us to have. If you have your Bible open to Mark chapter 1, we're going to look there. Because Jesus didn't just model it and, and tell that to Satan. It was actually a habit of Jesus that we see in a couple of passages of Scripture in the Gospel. But we're going to look at one this morning. Mark chapter 1. This is... Peter's account of Jesus' life told through uh, John Mark, who was one of Peter's associates. And in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, we see this. It says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. See, Jesus got up early. What we find out is Jesus beats the sun up. I mean, before the day even gets going, before everyone else is moving. And and again, this is in a world of no alarm clocks in Jesus' time. The sun was your alarm clock. But before the sun comes up, Jesus goes out and he finds some time to get away, to pray, to practice this spiritual discipline. I'm an advocate. And I would encourage you, I encourage people when we talk about spending time with the Lord to, to make the morning the time when you do that. Now, that's not being legalistic. But here's what I know. If I hit that snooze button a couple times and I choose sleep over starting my day in the Word, and I go, man, I need, to, I need a little more rest before I get up. And, and so I, what I'll do is this. I'll just I'll carve out some time later, and I'll get into the Word. I'll spend some time praying. I'll do that later. I'm going to sleep now. 
Here's what I find out usually happens for me. This may not be you. Maybe it's just me. But I found out that later doesn't usually show up. I'll take that back. Later shows up, my commitment doesn't. Because I get up, and then the day starts hitting me fast. And I got things to do and people to see and places to be. And, and, and what I find out is I lay down that night to go to bed, and I realize, oh, man, I didn't spend any time with the Lord today. I get so busy doing things. And so for me, I think it's important to say, hey, the first thing this morning, I'm going to get up and I'm going to spend time in the Word. I'm going to get up this morning and, and make the first thing that I do before I go see the world, I'm going to see my Lord. I'm going to get grounded and talk to Him about my day. I might even pull out my schedule and, and pray through it. Things that are going to happen that day, meetings I'm going to have, appointments of, of people that I may not even know that I'm going to see, but to start praying about those things and just try to get my day grounded. And Lord, what do you have for me today before I hit everything else? Now again, there's, there's, there's actually a couple places in Scripture that advocate for using the morning to spend time with the Lord, but it's really not about time. It's about priority. It's, it's about giving God your best time, the most important time. It's kind of rooted in, in the Old Testament idea of the first fruits offering. They, the, the Old Testament people, the Jews, would bring, when they brought their grain offering or they brought fruit offering, they brought any kind, they would bring the first of what they had. They didn't wait until like after the harvest was all done and they go, okay, we've got the harvest and here's for you and this is for the family and this. Now what do we have left for the Lord? They gave to the Lord the first thing that came up out of the ground and they delivered as if to say, hey, if we get nothing else, I'm giving you this. And so it's not about time as much as it's about priority that says, God, I'm going to give you the very best that I have. And just in case my day goes crazy, my day goes haywire, I'm going to make sure that you've got the first part of my day so I can spend time with you. But we've got, we understand priorities. We've all got priorities, right? I mean, like sports is a priority for me. Like I make sure in the fall, I, I love, I love Texas high school football. Don't, don't ask me to go someplace on a Friday night because what I'll tell you is, oh, I already have something calendared. And it is calendared. I'm not going to tell you I'm skipping your event for a football game because you would judge me for that. But, I mean, it's a priority. I put it on my calendar. I love it. Drive all over to watch different players. But I'm not as even passionate about it as a guy in a story I read the other day named, well, his friends called him Crazy Ali. Crazy Ali loved his local soccer team. I mean, passionate about them. One of those rabid fans. So passionate about it that he was banned from the stadium for a year for a quote-unquote fan-related incident. I don't know what that was, but whatever it was, got him kicked out of the stadium for a year. But Ali had a problem. He loved that team so much, and his team that he cheered for was playing their arch rivals, and it was a big game. It had implications for the championship season, and he couldn't be there to cheer them on, and he knew because it was a priority for him that he just had to be there. So Ali did what every rational thinking person would do. He went and rented a crane and had it delivered out in front of the stadium, got in the crane and raised it up so he could, because he was banned from the stadium, but apparently not banned from outside of the stadium, and could look over the walls and the fence and cheer his team on. What well, obviously drew quite a bit of reaction from people and he became a social media sensation when people started taking pictures of him and posting it as this crazy guy's yelling and screaming from the top of a crane the police were called they told crazy Ali you can't do this made him get down 
But at the end of the day, it was all fine for Crazy Ali because they didn't press charges. The crane cost him 86 bucks and his team won five to nothing. So he called it a good day. But that's somebody that's got, got a priority, right? I mean, I mean, most of us, I, I love high school football. I, I'm not renting a crane. I'm just going to miss it. But for this guy, seeing his soccer team was a priority. And that's, that, that kind of priority and passion is what we're talking about here. We're talking about spiritual disciplines being fuel for the journey. They have to be, a, it's got to be a priority for us. It's got to be something that says, you know what, whatever it takes, I'll go get a crane. I'll go, whatever I need to do to carve out time in my calendar to spend time with the Lord, I'm going to do that because I know that when I read God's word and when I spend time in conversation with him, that I'm getting fueled up for what's coming next. And most of us believe that. I mean, if before the message started, I passed out a sheet of paper and some pens and said, hey, just true or false, reading the Bible and prayer is important to your spiritual journey. vast majority of us would check yes, but there's a lot of us that while we say we believe it, don't do it. And I would guess that the primary reason is because we're busy. Got a lot of stuff to do. And then sitting down for a moment, you know, we see also in this passage in, in chapter 1, verse 35, it says that he rose early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed. We also see this, that he went out to a desolate place. Jesus went to a place where there was no distractions. If, if he was living here today, he would spend some time and, and leave the phone to the side just to take the word and to go spend some time where, where no one could, could interrupt. But we're so busy. Where do, we, where do we find time to go find our dis, desolate place? How do we find time to, to carve out and spend time with the Lord? Because we have things to do. You know, Jesus did too. Look at the next verse. Verse 36 says, And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. Now, I would like to think that I'm an important person. I mean, I think we all would like to think that. But I'll be honest with you. I don't know if I've ever, like, been doing my quiet time and, and several people showed up at my door going, Where have you been? It's not just Peter. It's Peter and several other guys are out looking for him. So that tells us probably one of two things happened. Jesus either got up before they did and has been gone and they woke up and they're like, where's Jesus? Or if Jesus got up at the same time they did, he's been gone so long spending time with the Lord that the search party has gone out for him. Again, not just, it's not, Peter's not looking for him because he's got something to say. A group of people are looking for him. And why are they looking for him? Because, quote, everyone's looking for you. Jesus is in demand. And it's not just that he has people looking for him because he's important, but he's also got a mission. He, what, he's got a mission that he's trying to accomplish that is, is life-changing. And Jesus even affirms that. In verse 38, he said to them, let's go on to the next towns. Plural. Not just one. We're going to the next towns. We're on a journey. That I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Jesus was in demand. Jesus 
not just had people who needed his time like some of us might, but he also had an important mission to accomplish. And it wasn't in spite of that, but because of that, that Jesus had the habit to get away and to fuel up for the journey. Jesus wasn't out in a desolate place praying, thinking, well, I guess today's a vacation day. I got some time. I'll carve out three or four hours. He was well aware of what the day held. He said that we've got towns to go to. We're going to be in all of Galilee. I've got synagogues, plural, to teach in. I've got people and lots of them. If you read the stories in the gospel of how many people follow Jesus, I've got lots of people that need to be healed. Jesus knew what his day held. He knew how busy he was, but it, wasn't, it was because of that busyness that he stopped to say, I've got to get fueled up for this journey. For Jesus, busyness was the reason. For us, busyness is the excuse. There was a survey done of 20,000 Christians. That's a huge survey. Four out of ten said that they either always or often felt like they were rushing from task to task. And six out of ten, 60% of believers agreed that they either always or often felt like their busyness kept them from growing spiritually. Let me give you a picture of what happens to us. I got this bike that was actually sitting out on my curb to be thrown away. We don't ride bikes that often in our house, but occasionally, <laughs> obviously, if you look at the rusted chain in this janky bike, we don't ride bikes that often. But occasionally my kids will go, hey, let's go ride bikes. And every time they've said that, we go out and pull out one of these bikes, and what we realize is the tire is totally flat. Every time, because we don't ride that often. Now here, I, I can tell you what does not happen. There is not somebody in my neighborhood that walks around our neighborhood waiting for us to leave our garage door open and then sneaks in and lets all the air out of our tires. That's not what happens. What happens is there's a slow leak. It's not because there's a hole in the tire. It happens to your car tires. Air slowly will leave the tire over time and it ends up being flat. The solution, air it up. Fuel it up. But so many of us, this is what we're like. We, we go out to jump on. We've got, we've got a time of maybe crisis or a time that's important, a milestone moment. And we have this moment to share the gospel with somebody, to, to lean into our grandkids or our, our kids at this, this, this moment that the Holy Spirit brought us to this place for. And we run and we, we jump on our bike and the tire's flat. And in that instance, it's not really the tire. It's, it's our spiritual life. Somebody comes and asks us a question. What do I do here? And it's our moment that God has ordained for us to, to be his ambassador. And we don't have answers. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to minister because all of the air leaked out because we weren't regularly fueling up for the journey. After today's sermon at 11 o'clock, this is going to the dumpster out back and being thrown away. Because it's not even useful anymore. It just hasn't been taken care of. And that's not where we're supposed to be. As ambassadors for Christ, we've got to be fueling up. Fueling up for the journey so that we can be engaged in what God has called us to do and to know him better. So how do we do that? 
I mean, it's pretty simple. First thing we've got to do is we've got to create spiritual disciplines. That, and I would st- start, if you're going, hey, I don't know what that means, I would start with time in the Bible and time in prayer. Those are the foundational ones. Now, some of you might be great at that. You've got a regular daily time that you're in the Word. You might have a devotional or you have a plan of how you read through the Word. Some of you are prayer warriors. I mean, you, you've got a prayer journal and you're covering, you're covering your church and you're covering your family and you're covering missionaries and, and you're doing great in those areas. For you then, the spiritual disciplines that are fuel for the journey, it may be exploring some things like fasting or meditation or service or, or, or guidance being a, a spiritual guide, a mentor for someone else. You, you might need to start delving into some of those things. For the vast majority of people, though, we know from statistics, we just need to start with getting into word, the Word of God and, and hearing what God has to say to us and spending time talking to Him. Like that, that's the priority for us. And let me, let me help you with that. Think rhythms and seasons. Think about the rhythms of life, things that you do every day, that you're going to do anyway, that you can reposition to be pointing you towards the Lord. I have a friend, his name is Josh, and he memorizes scripture like no one I've ever known. In fact, several years ago in Collide, our Wednesday night youth activities, we were talking about some spiritual disciplines, and we spent a night talking about scripture memory, of hiding God's word into your heart. And I realized that's something I struggle with. Um, I do it, but I just, I'm slow. I'm really slow. And I thought, I need to get Josh to come in. So I had Josh come in. He lives in San Antonio. And he came up to talk to our kids. And he, he did some scripture quoting for them. I'm not kidding you. like blows me away because he'll get up and just like quote the book of Ephesians. And I'm like, what? Like, that is crazy. I mean, the, like, the entire book. And so he said this, and I've never forgotten it. He said, people ask me all the time, hey, what's the trick? How, you know, what is it? Do you have word pictures? What do you do? What's the trick? And he said, there's no trick. It's just hard work. And he said, this is what I do. When I get in the car to drive someplace, I don't turn on my radio. I don't listen to music. I don't listen to sports talk. I don't listen to news radio. He said, I have my Bible next to me. And as I drive, I'll, I'll, I'll look over and, and start working on a verse. And he says, so sometimes I have like an hour-long road trip, and so I spend an hour while I'm driving memorizing Scripture. And honestly, you know what I was thinking? I was like, I wanted the trick, right? I'm like, an hour with no music, what? But for him, it was a discipline, a spiritual discipline that's become fuel for his journey. It was just a rhythm, though. It was every time he got in the car. That's what he does. If you're a parent, and you're in that stage of life where you have to drive kids places, you know, once a week they have this and another week they've got that. And you have those things that's an hour long thing you've got to take them to. And so you drive them there and you go, what am I going to do for the hour? Because I don't want to drive home. As soon as I get home, I've got to turn around and go pick them up. That, that's just a rhythm in your life, taking a kid someplace. So you take that rhythm and you put the spiritual discipline on top of it. And you go, you know what, when we're driving to dance this week and I'm going to be waiting in the parking lot, that 45 minutes I'm waiting, I'm going to start reading through the book of Romans. I'm going to read Genesis. I'm going to read Colossians. I'm going to do my Bible study. It just becomes the rhythm. Every time I take my kids someplace and I'm sitting and doing nothing, I'm going to be purposeful with that time, intentional with that time. I'm going to put air in the tires, fuel in the tank, and I'm going to to practice these spiritual disciplines and just the rhythm that you're already doing. 
It might be when you're getting ready in the morning. That's a rhythm we all have. It might be, hey, as I get ready in the morning, I'm going to keep my prayer journal out on the bathroom counter and I'm going to pray through things and talk to the Lord as I'm getting ready during the morning. It's just a, a regular rhythm in what you do. I said rhythms and seasons. Sometimes there's seasons in life where we can, we can really dive deep. I was really encouraged. There's a, a group of moms. It might happen at several high schools, but I know of one high school in town. We have some moms during the football season that uh, every Friday gather at one of the local high schools and they pray for their kids. And not just their kids, they pray for all of the kids that are on the football team that their kids play for. And so they gather together and they talk and they pray together and they pray silently. That, that's a season. They don't do that in the spring. They do it during the fall. But you could also use that season if you go, hey, I'm already going to be doing that. I'm going to show up 15 minutes earlier and just kind of walk the track and pray for some other things. Or stay 15 minutes later. That's a season and, and it's going to come to an end. Christmas time rolls around. You might love Christmas. You might love that holiday. You might say, hey, during Advent and as a church, as we walk through Advent together, I'm, I'm going to carve out some time in my calendar just during the season of Christmas to, to meditate on the Christmas story. I'm gonna, this year I'm going to read it really, really slow, and I'm going to spend time absorbing God coming to earth. I'm not just going to read the Christmas story with my kids. I'm going to do that, but for four weeks, really just meditate on it. And then when January comes, that season, that season ends you might go on a vacation every year and you hey during vacation i've got some downtime we go to the beach or whatever and i sit on the beach that that may be a time to be intentional put away whatever fictional book you're reading and there's nothing wrong with reading fictional books but setting aside say, hey during this season i'm going to spend some time reading through a large portion of scripture rhythms and seasons of how you can fuel up for the journey Here's the second thing that's, that's very helpful too. Accountability. Having somebody that you can walk the journey with. That you can text if you're a texter or email or whatever that says, hey, if, it, if it's in the Word, hey, this is what I read today and this is what God's showing me. Or, hey, this is what I'm praying for today. What can I pray for you about? So I'm, I, I'm in the journey always of like trying to eat better, get healthier, things like that. And what I found is over the last couple of weeks, as I'm making just better choices and ordering things, uh, I'll text my wife and say, hey, for lunch I had this and line it out. And she'll text back, way to go. But here's what else has happened. Not has it, it hasn't just been accountability for me to think, oh, I'm going to text her what, I, what I've eaten so she knows. But she's now thinking about it, not for her, but for me. For, she's like in shape. She's good to go. Um, but she's thinking about it for me. So on Wednesday night, this last week, as I'm getting ready to go to Collide and do stuff, uh, she, she brings up a meal for me. Normally I like grab something on the way home and it's, not, you know, Panda Express or, you know, something equally healthy from Jack in the Box, you know, something like that at, at 930 at night because that's really when you want to eat healthy foods like that, right? So she comes up and so she knows I'm trying to do better because I've texted her and things like that. She brings up a turkey sandwich and a bowl of fruit. It's like, yes. And I won't go to eat the junk food later because I'm in a hurry. That, that accountability went back and forth and, and it helps me. It's the same thing spiritually. As we've got these rhythms and disciplines, have somebody else that comes along the way to help you. Well, I want to make one last point for you. And I, need, I need this table. I brought some stuff with me this morning. I want to show you. It's kind of an insight into my life. 
This is going to be embarrassing, probably. I pulled this from my house. It's our phone charger. Sits out on our counter in the kitchen. We've got all the different plugs from my phone, kids' phones, my wife's phones. I have that. I also have this. This phone charger stays in my office, plugged in all the time. I also have, I also have this. This is usually in my bedroom in case I need to charge my phone while I'm in the bedroom. I also have this. This one stays in my office at my house. So if I'm sitting in there, I can charge my phone. It's sad, isn't it? I've got this. It's my bag that stays in my computer bag for when I travel. It's got the wall charger, and it's got two car chargers. You know why there's two? Because I forgot it one time and had to go buy another one when I was traveling. I've got this, which stays in my car all the time. I've got, what else? Oh, oh yes, I have this. Because I went to Galveston last weekend and left this at home. So I had to stop at the gas station and get this. And just in case, just in case, I've got the portable charger that I can put in my pocket and charge my phone up while I'm on the move. This is embarrassingly sad. But here's my point. I've gone to an incredible amount of effort to make sure my phone battery doesn't die because my phone's important to what I do. Am I being equally important fueling up my spiritual life or just the electronics that I have? And what about you? Are there disciplines that are in place in your life that are fueling you up so that you can experience all that God called you to experience and preparing you to make the difference that he's called you to make. Here's what I would love. I would love for us to be a church that knows the word, knows Jesus intimately, because we have the discipline and the habit of being in his presence. So here's the big ask for this week. Would you reflect this morning, maybe during a time of response, which we'll have in a second, would you spend some time reflecting on what your patterns or habits or disciplines are for fueling up? And consider how you could take it to the next level. How could you know Jesus better this week? And what can you do to get there than you did in this past week? So that's a takeaway for almost everybody. But there may be some people in the room that that you need a different takeaway. Because here's the deal, just shooting straight with you. Reading your Bible about a God that you don't have a relationship with or praying to a God that you don't know really isn't that helpful. If you came in this morning, maybe you came with a friend or maybe just 
whatever it was, the Holy Spirit, and you didn't even know it was the Holy Spirit, but it was God himself kind of pushing you to get to church this morning. You came in not knowing what to expect. You had no clue it was me, bluegrass music, and that every other pastor had left, and they just left the one day I left to preach. You didn't know any of that was happening. But God did. And you know, he brought you here because he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you to know him intimately. And so before reading the Bible to fuel up and praying to fuel up and the spiritual disciplines to fuel up, you've got to have the relationship first. And so while probably a lot of people in the room, your takeaway, your applications, need to create some spiritual disciplines, to find some accountability, for some of you, your application is going to be to surrender. You've probably sensed God talking to you, calling you. And maybe this morning's the time where you go, okay, God, I'm yours.